0: It's good to see you guys here. Well, I hope you guys read ahead. We're in chapter 27 of Matthew. As we near the end of this gospel, again, we've taken a turn emotionally from the miraculous things that Jesus has been doing, the miracles, the amazing hope he's been giving people, we now see where he is turned over into the hands of the Romans and a time that we know very well what's taking place. I fear sometimes that we are in danger of losing the emotion of what's taking place here as things become routine and we know about them. But I want you to remember the times where you've felt alone, where it seemed as if no one was by your side, no one cared, where there was sorrow that was overwhelming where it seemed you were as desperate and as low as you could possibly be. And I want you to know that in that dark place that you experienced, that we have a high priest who has experienced that as well. That the depths of your sorrow He has been to, and he knows. And if you cannot find comfort in the circumstances, I pray that we find comfort in a God who cares, in a God who sees, in a God who knows. And as we go through this, I pray that that would be something we recognize as we see Jesus going through this. Starting at verse 1 in chapter 27, says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And so we see that the last meeting took place in the evening. It was illegal. And so now they pass the official sentence on Jesus, Last time it was undercover. They, they had to take him captive. Remember, they were afraid of the multitude. They didn't want a lot of people to know what was going on. So they did it at night, illegally, according to their law. But now the next day, they quickly pass an official sentence on Jesus and, and they present that sentence here as we're going to be going through. In verse three to chapter, or verse 10, we're going to see Judas's remorse and Matthew's gospel is the only one that records this, but let's read this together. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasure, treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver the price set on him by the people of Israel and they used them to bury to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me there's something sobering about someone who Jesus sent out to preach who ends his life in this way there is something alarming about a person who could spend time and be closer to Jesus as far as proximity and hearing his voice, witnessing the things that Jesus did, more than any of us here, and whose life could turn out like this. It's frightening. And nothing surprises me, a lot of things anger me, but it's come to a place in my walk in following Christ that I am not surprised anymore by what people are able to do, even people who have been followers of Christ for years, people who I thought were so strong. Nothing surprises me. Things hurt. Things bother me. They sure make me angry sometimes and sad. But I don't think there's any need to be surprised when we see something like what is happening here. Whatever Judas was hoping to gain, he now despised. And we talked last week about Judas's motivation, that it seemed like it was more than just 30 pieces of silver, that he had some other idea. We talked about how when Judas went in and he said, the one who I kiss is the one who I want you to, that's Jesus. That's how you can identify him. But then when Jesus, Judas actually went to Jesus and kissed him, it was a different kiss. It was more affectionate. We talked about the possibility of Judas trying to push Jesus into the place that Judas wanted Jesus to be. Where Judas wanted Jesus to be someone who could overthrow the Roman government, could could let up, set up this kind of establishment where now we will be over their rule and put them aside. And perhaps Judas was trying to move Jesus's hand and it didn't work out the way he wanted. Whatever the case is, we see that he was seized with remorse, it says. The King James Version says he repented. That's not a good translation. The New King James retranslated it more accurately because it is that he was filled with regret, But we see something here that regret is not enough. Our tears of regret cannot wash away the stain of our sin. It takes blood. It takes Jesus' blood. And so as sorry as Judas was, He wasn't sorry enough to deal with it or change. He continued on to the place of despair and took his life. There's a parallel what's happening with him and what happens with Peter. Peter also denied Jesus, but Peter's end was different. And so we see just a tragic story here taking place with Judas. Are there any things that stand out to you guys or any questions you have about this incident with Judas? Well, the word that is used for regret is specific in how it is used. It can't be interpreted as repent. It is just being regretful. You know, it's not showing repentance. It's more that remorse. And then remember Jesus' words previously when he said the one who betrayed him, it would be better if he was never born. So there's some insight that Jesus had, I believe, about Judas that was there. You know, it's one thing when you're sorry for what you do because of what it's caused. There's another thing when you are sorry for what you do and you acknowledge the wrong and want to move to what is right. We don't see Judas moving to what is right. We see Peter moving to what is right. Judas just takes his life. He's overwhelmed. You know, God is the only one who knows what happens with people. But from what Jesus said about it's better if he was never born, and from what we see here in Judas's reaction, it seems as if he was just not one of Christ. You know what I mean? It's like he would say, I never knew you. You had this agenda all along, and it wasn't my agenda. And when your agenda didn't play out, you just lost all hope. Um, That's kind of how I see it. But, I mean, that's, yeah, you think, oh, my gosh, the guy's sorry. He's regretful. Did he repent? It doesn't seem that way, at least from my understanding. Now, could he have? What do you guys think? could he have repented? He could have. But again, God has used his position to establish his truth, just like he did with Pharaoh. Um, So there's kind of a difficult thing to understand the heart and mind of God. But it's interesting, even as Judas and Jesus had that dialogue at the Last Supper, how Jesus still had dinner with him. He still ate with him. He still showed compassion. He didn't get on his case. He didn't expose him in front of the others. He still dealt gently with him. Um, Again, that's who he is, and that's what he does with us, but uh, alarming, frightening things to see what's taking place here. Any other thoughts on Judas? It always hurts when someone close to you betrays you, There's no getting out of it. Again, imagine those dark places that we've been where maybe that has happened to us, the place where you thought those who were close to you and on your side turned their back on you or betrayed you in some way. Um, That's painful. Yeah, that's, I mean, he wouldn't have been receiving the Spirit and been what we would call a born-again believer, but if he were to repent... If that was something that was possible for him, then he would have been waiting in that place and received. Well, still living under the old covenant that God had established with the people. Um, The new covenant was going to be fulfilled, as we're going to see in in this chapter, you know, at the death of Christ, when his blood was spilt and and the sacrifice was made. And, And that's where the covenants change. Before, the the blood covered our sins, and now the blood is going to cleanse us, forgive us. And, and it's going to bring a, a new law within our hearts and change that relationship. Before, it was more distant, requiring the ritual. So, well, let's continue on, see if we can get through this chapter or not. So, and now we move on to Pilate, Okay. Verse 11, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge. "'What shall I do, then, with Jesus, who is called the Messiah?' Pilate asked. "'They all answered, "'Crucify him!' "'Why? "'What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. "'But they shouted all the louder, "'Crucify him!' "'When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, "'but that instead an uproar was starting, "'he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. "'I am innocent of this man's blood,' he said. "'It is your responsibility.' All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Luke tells us that the charge was blasphemy earlier, but they told Pilate. Luke's gospel tells us that the charge was blasphemy, but they told Pilate that Basically, Jesus was refusing to pay taxes and called himself a king. That's why I- They were presenting this to Pilate. The Jews could not execute someone. They didn't have the authority to have that kind of judicial control over the people because Rome was over them. And so instead, they had to appeal to Rome if there was this kind of circumstance, someone was causing problems. They wanted Jesus out of the way. They couldn't do it themselves. So they made up some charges that would cause Rome to have to deal with it. The charges were he wasn't paying taxes, and that he calls himself to be king, because they're supposed to have no king but Caesar. In fact, one of the other gospels that says the crowd was shouting, we can have no king but Caesar. And so they make up these accusations. They present this to Pilate. Pilate is an interesting fellow. He's probably in his 30s, maybe a little bit older. He actually took His position as a governor at about 26 AD, and to get to this position, he had to go through the ladder of command. He was involved with the military, he did his time there, and then he worked his way up to be this place of governor. But he did not have a good relationship with the Jews. From the very get-go, he was in opposition with them. The governors before him, aware of the, the Jewish people's religious beliefs that they could not have any graven images when they would have their home, they would not fly the flags of Rome in front of the home because the Jews saw that as a graven image. Pilate didn't care. He said, put the flags up. And it caused a stir. It caused an outrage for the people, so much so that eventually he took them down. So now there's this interaction that's going on between Pilate and the people, this hostility. Pilate also developed this aqueduct, this water to get fresh water, which was a good thing, but what he did was used the temple money to build this, which wasn't a good thing. And so then the Jews started threatening Pilate that they would go above his head and let the people know or let his leaders know what he did, how he abused his power. And so now they had something on Pilate. And so Pilate was living in this tension where he was over them, but they had a couple of things on him. And so he didn't want there to be a riot. He didn't want there to be a big fuss because it could cause problems for him. And so as they pushed this on him, he could only push back so far, otherwise he was going to be dealing with something that he probably just didn't want to. And so often the times the Jews would use these things to threat him, and they did it now at this time as they wanted to put Jesus to death. Eventually he was recalled to Rome because of how he dealt so savagely in Samaria with an uprising that shouldn't have been, what it was. And he killed a bunch of people. And when word got to the officials above him, they pulled him back to Rome. And in that time, uh, there was a lot of change. And we don't really know what happened. There's all kinds of stories of what happened to Pilate, that his wife became a believer of Christ. Some say that he committed suicide, but we don't know. But Pilate was warned by his conscience. He knew Jesus was not guilty. He said, I find no fault with this man. He was warned by any kind of sense of justice that he might have had. And he was warned by his wife. Don't have anything to do with this man, which I find amazing. She had a dream. And I love how it says, she said that I was troubled greatly. I have suffered because of this dream I had. Don't have anything anything to do with this man. I wonder what that's about. What's God doing there in her head? But Pilate, not listening to his conscience, not listening to his idea of justice, not listening to his wife, instead tries to alleviate his guilt with water and wash away the wrong that he was allowing to happen. And it's amazing the things that we will do to try and alleviate guilt. To say, I'm not responsible, when you always have the choice. Oh yeah, it might have caused you your position, but it was the right thing to do. What motivates us and what is the most important thing to us shows up in the actions that we have and the actions that we live out. And so Pilate here gives in to the pressure, tries to make himself free of it, but he's not. He's not free. He is responsible for his actions. And as all these things are happening... We have to recognize that just like Judas was responsible for what he did, Peter was responsible for what he did, Pilate's responsible for what he did, we're responsible for what we do. It doesn't matter if someone else does something wrong. It doesn't matter if someone else is being manipulative or cruel or trying to Usurp their authority or twist things. We are always responsible for how we will react. And God is always moving, and we see the will of God as being accomplished, but it doesn't take away the responsibility of these individuals. Well, wasn't Jesus destined to go to the cross? Yes, he was. Well, then how can you blame Pilate? He's responsible for his actions. That never stops. He always has the ability to choose. We always are responsible for our actions. Any questions on this passage with Pilate? Any thoughts that jump out to you regarding it? Yeah, and the other gospels talk about Herod, and it was his way of trying to maybe Herod would release him, but he didn't, so it went back to his lap. Again, he wanted to shun the responsibility, but he couldn't. Any other thoughts on Pilate? And it's even interesting that he has the same name, Jesus Barabbas, and then Jesus, that's why Pilate calls him Jesus, who you call the Messiah. He had to distinguish between the two of them, because Jesus was a popular name, it's Joshua, you know, the Hebrew name, Joshua. And so, But yeah, it, it's interesting. And then Barabbas, I mean, we just know a little bit about him, that he was a criminal, you know, but... They were able to release him instead. The crowd, isn't it interesting how quickly the crowd turned? When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, that triumphant entry, they were all for him. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now he's captive. Crucify him. What's going on there? Well, just how many people are in Jerusalem at this time? I mean, you've got probably a million people in Jerusalem, and so you're going to have a large variety of people. But we know there were some believers in there, not all of them. You know? And it's just e- it's, what's interesting is how quickly and how easily it is to turn a crowd. It you know, depends on what things are going on. Yeah, they were encouraging people to do that. They were campaigning. I'm um, election year, might as well campaign. You know, it, it doesn't take much to get a crowd motivated to do something. You know, I mean, look at our sports teams and stuff, you know. I mean, you're for them until they lose, and then you hate them, you know, some people. Some are faithful fans, but not many in L.A. Uh, you know, it just depends. What have you done for me lately? You know, that baseball player who's batting, you know, 300, he's our, yeah, we love you, he's batting 100, we hate you, sell him, get rid of him, you know, we love you, while you're doing something for us, if you're not doing anything for us, get rid of him, kind of a human nature thing that we deal with, any other thoughts in this, yes, yeah, he's just merciful, exactly, you know, with Pharaoh, Pharaoh established his heart and then God strengthened that position and used it. You know, and I think the same thing happens many times. God will say, okay, if you're going to take that position, I will use you to establish my position. Remember with Pharaoh or with, well, yeah, Pharaoh, Pilate, or us, what we really do is based on what's most important to us. In other words, you can know the right thing, which Pilate did. The right thing was to let Jesus go But if you love the wrong thing, which is his position and his status, you will make the wrong decision. And so knowing the right thing isn't enough. You have to care enough to make that a priority. What would have happened if this was someone who Pilate really loved and cared about? Would he just say, I wash my hands, or would he have done more to make sure this didn't happen? And what happens with us in that case? You know, we see some injustice taking place. I don't really know them. I don't care that much. I'm going to just keep going my way. The good Samaritan, the religious leaders passed by him. Yeah, passed by him, passed by him. It took someone else to see him and give him value the way God saw him and gave him value. That Samaritan that the religious people said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this guy who's beaten and thrown to the side. It took that Samaritan person to say, I see value in this person. I recognize that. And he made the difference. And that's why that was the example Jesus gave. Who was this man's neighbor, the one who cared and treated him the right way? Pilate had the opportunity to treat Jesus like he should have. But he didn't because he loved something more. Instead of doing what was right here, he loved his position, his status. He was worried about maybe those things, and he made the wrong decision. He held it for a few more years, but then he lost it. I mean, there's one um, thought that he actually committed suicide, too. You know, someone said, pilot, yeah. At least, again, it's all speculation. We don't know. But, yeah, he ended up losing his position anyway. So. But, you know, at the time, it seems like everything. You know, that position that you're going for, that raise, it seems like everything if that's right there. And then you get the job, and then the company goes out of business. You know, like, oh, boy, you know, that didn't work out. And so you vie for a position, and then it ends up being foundationless anyway. And it's so easy to justify it reminded me of something when Judas went into the temple. you know he ran past the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. He couldn't go into the holiest place you know the place where the or the place where the priests were only allowed, you know, and so he took the money and he threw that into the temple, that deeper part, and then the priests went in there and they took the coins and said, "Well, we can't use this in the temple because it's blood money." But they had no problem lying. They had no problem, you know, putting an innocent man to death, and it's amazing how we can justify, you know, "Oh, I can't use this money. This is bad, but I can kill this guy. That's OK. You know And we all see other people's sins as worse than our own. You know, that person's gay, but you covet. You know, they're going to hell. I'm okay. You know, and we have this way of justifying our own sin and lifting others up as being worse. And we do that almost naturally. You know, it doesn't mean that what they're doing is good, it's just how we justify it as worse is interesting. Uh, let's go on. Let's try to, to continue a little further. Verse 27. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. I'm going to keep going. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And so we see after the scourging, there is the mocking, there is the beating. Jesus is now in the hands of Rome, which is the known world at that time. Crucifixion is something that is intended for criminals or runaway slaves. It was a long way to his final destination at Golgotha, and so someone had to carry the cross because by this time, between the scourging and the beating, most people were either passed out because of pain, some even died. He was not able to endure the weight of the cross, and they would usually take a long road because they wanted everyone to see what was happening. It was their kind of way of letting people know, hey, you need to fear our judgment because we can impose this kind of cruelty. Uh, Cyrene, the Simon from Cyrene is in North Africa. Again, there's a lot of speculation about this man. We we see in the other Gospels, Mark's Gospel, that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and it's mentioned in Acts these names, and so they believe that these... his. Children were actually followers of Christ later on. This might have been a time where he was introduced to who Christ was and from there moved on. But what an amazing thing. This person from South Africa travels all the way to Jerusalem to be part of the Passover and happens to be this guy. You know, just, again, interesting things to think about. The wine that was given to him was mixed and actually, it was drugged. It was given to help reduce the pain. There was actually a group of women that were pretty well-to-do that would do this as mercy for those people who were being crucified. They would put in this mixture that was supposed to help sedate people so that they wouldn't feel the pain as much. But we see that Jesus didn't drink it uh, as it was given to him. And all this time, the, the mocking... The throwing out these accusations and telling him, you saved others, save yourself. You know, if he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. And it's because he did not come down from the cross that we believe. They said, if you come down, we'll believe, but we believe because he didn't come down. They wanted to see a God of power, and what Jesus showed was a God of love. They wanted to see a God who could show power and authority, and what Jesus did was show them a God who loves to the uttermost, a God who did not give up on us, who took the blame for us, who gave himself for us. And so here we see just this, again, lonely time, that Jesus goes through, and he does it for us. Any thoughts or questions on on these passages? Well, it doesn't go into detail here about that. So there was probably a time where they were, or maybe what Matthew is talking about is the one who did ridicule him, and then later on the one would say, hey, leave him alone, because that did happen. It is in the other Gospels. At one point, they were... And then he finally said, hey, came to his senses, this isn't right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that it makes sure we know that he didn't drink it. You know, it says it clearly there. Yeah, it's a good point. Other thoughts? Let's move forward. Verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabactina," which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurions and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from armathia named joseph who had himself become a disciple of jesus going to pilate he asked for jesus's body and pilate ordered that it be given to him joseph took the body wrapped it in clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that had cut out been cut out of rock he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away mary magdalene and the other mary were sitting there opposite the tomb Let's stop and see here and some things. Um, Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified at the third hour, which is about 9 a.m. We see here that it's about three o'clock when he makes this cry out, which means there's about six hours of time out there in the sun, beaten, scourged, and being crucified. This isn't a quick time. Even though we read it shortly, this is six hours that are taking place. Again, to imagine what happens in that six-hour time. The people who are there, some are probably staying there, some are coming and going, and Jesus is there. On top, watching all this, this is taking place. There are so many things that are happening in this moment that are, I don't know, haunting is the word that comes to mind. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a quote from Psalm 22. Why do you think Jesus says this? And so why is he saying, my God, my God? Why? Just because he's hurting. Remember at the beginning, I, I talked about those dark places that we've been through, that we go through. You know, Corinthians tells us, chapter 5, verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's mysterious. I don't understand what that totally means. We, we've got an idea of what it is, but what it really was is something hard to grasp hold of. But Jesus went to the depths of human emotion, so that there is no place that we go that he has not been. Already. I really believe that. And every gospel has an account of this. John's has a little bit more that we'll talk about in a second, but turn to chapter 22 of Psalms 22. That's redundant. Chapter 22 of Psalms 22. There are so many things through this psalm that line up with the crucifixion. And what Jesus is quoting here. It's just very revealing. Verse 7, it says, All who see me mock me. They hurl incense, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. We saw that. Verse 16, dogs surround me. Remember, that was a term used for Gentiles as well. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. All these things are taking place. There's a change that happens in verse 25. It says, From you comes the theme of my praise. And the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All will go down to the dust and will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. What John's gospel Records as the final words that the others don't. All of them talk about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the last words that John records that Jesus spoke was, it is finished. It's actually one word. It's done. He has done it. You see, Psalm 22 is identifying with the human condition. It is identifying with us who we are, the depths of our sin and our brokenness, and all the things that make us broken and human and in need of salvation. Jesus identifies with it, but it doesn't end there. It ends with he has done it. It ends with it is finished. It ends with I took care of it. Wherever that dark place is, wherever that broken place is that humanity lives, I have been there and I have fixed it. He's done it. We can say he's done it. Jesus said it is finished. And now brings that new covenant. Now the, the veil is torn, which is so symbolic. That place of the holies that no one could go into except for the high priest. Jesus is saying, you are allowed in. That's the new covenant that we were talking about. Now things have changed. You now have access because I give you access through my blood, through what I have done. And so we see that there is a change that takes place. These spectacular events happen. And Matthew, as he's been doing throughout his gospel, throws some things that happen later in the middle of what's happening now and says, oh, yeah, that happened later after the resurrection. So we leave our heads spinning away. What's going on here? When is that? Oh, okay, that's after the resurrection. But what's happening is Matthew is making a statement. Things are different now. Everything has changed. Why? Because he has done it. Because it is finished. Because Jesus tore the curtain. The veil that separated us or kept us from God is now gone. It is done. And so we see that in this place... Where now Jesus, remember he said, when I am lifted up, speaking of the cross, I will draw all men to me. The the need that mankind has to, to be restored to God, the brokenness that we all have. Jesus is now lifted up and he says, by this, people will now come and see that they can have this relationship with God. And we see the centurion is the first one to partake of this. And he says, this was the son of God. As he experiences that moment, he recognizes what is happening here, and we do too. This is where we also find ourselves in this new covenant, in this new place where Jesus has done it, where it is finished, where we can now enjoy and have access with him. We're not going to finish. A couple of things just that we read. First, Joseph of Arimathea, the guy gave up his, his own tomb, which was of value. But not only that, he put himself at risk, not only for his life, but his reputation, going to Pilate and what the Jews would think of him by doing this. So there's a lot to be said of who this person is. And again, there's a lot of thoughts of who, what happened to him later on. But we also see the women. They're still there. Where are the guys? They fled. They're at a distance. The women were a distance too, but then they came in close. And I think that's telling of what happens. Uh, Yeah, of course his mom was there. Any thoughts on these last verses? We're going to end here. We'll finish Next week, the rest of the chapter and more. Yeah, it's amazing what people can see and still not believe. You know, it is. You know, and and that's what makes a hard choice easy is when you love. When you care enough, that makes the choice not a problem. I can choose that. Why? Because I care. This is more important than the difficulty that I'll face. You're willing to make that choice because you care. You know, he was a disciple of Christ. He loved Christ, and he said, I'm going to do this. And so now the possibilities of retribution, it it, it paled compared to what he felt he had to do. And that's where God has banked everything on love. You guys mind sticking around a couple of minutes talking about this? Let me ask you something, because that brings up a whole thing. Did God's holiness change? No? Right? Okay. No, right? (laughs) I'm just. Good. Good answer. Good answer. So, what before we weren't able to go through, we look at it as oh no, you know, I can't go in there. But really, what now has happened is oh no, it's been released. So, before, I can't go in there unless I'm good enough. And now God says, it's done, I'm coming out. And so the holiness of God hasn't changed, but what has happened is it's now been made available to all who want it. And so now that scary place is here and is all around us, which should make us a little frightened, but should also make us very excited of what's happening. You know that we have now this holiness available to us that the holies has now entered our lives. How cool and crazy is that because it's not like God was held in there; it was a a representation, and now God says, "You guys, I'm here, I'm everywhere, and so the holiness has just been exposed and released. it's like radiation. You know, it's the curtain's gone. It's out, which is meant to be. That's why there was this explosion, because the holiness of God is now going to capture the lives of these people and going to transform them, to to give them a new night life, make them not better people but different, new people. And that essence that is now changed is going to spark a chain reaction, what C. S. Lewis calls the good infection. It's going to now infect more and more people because the holiness of God is now able to invade our lives and change us from the inside out. Isn't that cool? Isn't that just like it's out. You know, this is very cool stuff. Okay, any other thoughts? And and something is happening here that is helping us to to see things different or a new reality that's taking place because what's going to happen from here Yeah, Jesus didn't give a sign, come down from the cross. I mean, he's raised people from the dead. He fed 5,000. You'd think that would be enough, but it's never enough. You know, it's like one more sign. You know, just show me one more thing. You know, I got this soup over here. Can you make it boil or something? whatever. It's always something else that we want. But what Jesus does with the whole tearing of the, the veil is now he is going to make us the proof of God. Our lives become... The proof of God. You will be my witnesses. And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about Sunday. Yeah, I don't know. It's kinda of freaky. <laughs> Especially after watching The Walking Dead. I just don't I don't know what's going on. You know, we well we know they're a, a resurrected body, so it's different. Um, but yeah, it was something unique happened at this point, and I don't know. All the reasons why, except for to give testimony to the event that happened, I believe. Um, You know, Jesus was seen by thousands of people over that period of time. You know, it wasn't just over 500 people at one time that took place, you know, over 40 days. It was like he was hanging out for a while, which had to be strange, you know, showing up. Hey, is he going to, where is he? You know, have you seen Jesus today? No but he just showed up yesterday, man, so be ready, you know, I mean, there's exciting times. It is, it's big, but you know, again, I'm not surprised by people anymore, I really am not, Um, the things people will believe is amazing, and the foolish things that people will believe is amazing, I've been looking at some things just for other reasons, for talking with some people who are like into all these conspiracy things and they say, Oh, I believe this and this. And And I listen to that. I go, that's crazy. That's just crazy. But once you've got a seed in your head and it changes your perspective, everything fits into your belief system, you know? And so if you're like, ah, well, it wasn't really, he wasn't really dead. You know, it was, it just looked like him, you know, or who knows what they would go through to say or, just disregard it altogether. But anyway. Any other thoughts? Thank you guys for sticking around. Let's close. I know it's late. Thank you guys. Hey, you were talking too, so it's not all me. (laughs) Father, there are so many textures in the passages that we read here tonight. God, we see such sorrow and... Lord, what tragedy that the author of life would be put to death and to be alone and to be forsaken. And we see your identifying with us and and doing this for us. And we see the devotion of a few and we see now hope given to many. And it just gets better. Lord, we are so grateful for what you've done. Lord, may we take to heart that what we read is what's making the difference in our lives right now. It is what changed the game. It's what allowed us access to a holy God. It's what allows a holy God to use us to change the world. Father, may the power of this event be powerful in our own hearts and our lives. God, we entrust ourselves to you and thank you again for this time